0: Our text today, verses 2 through 12. Last Sunday, our primary text was from the book of Philippians, chapter four and verse six specifically, in which the apostle Paul commands Christians to be anxious for nothing. After searching the scriptures again this week, I have concluded that as far as I can tell, the Bible offers no exceptions to that prohibition. In other words, there appears to be no possible scenario or circumstance that could arise in the life of a Christian in which we are instructed to panic or to be overwhelmed with fear. And that of course includes our present situation of COVID-19. It's not a cause for panic, worry or fear or doubt. As I thought more this week about Philippians four, six, I was reminded that it is not enough though for a believer simply to stop worrying. To cease from worry just puts us in a position of neutrality. The Bible wants us to go far behind neutrality and arrive at a position of dispositional joy. What I mean by that is not just joy for a few seconds, not just something humorous, that our ongoing attitude as a believer is determined joy. And that's exactly what our text tells us today. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Let's read it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind." For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of this, his word. Now, right away in verse two, we see the reality of testing. He says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. That word consider sometimes translated in our English Bibles as count it really means to think ahead. That is to put your mind to work about the circumstance and see beyond the present trial to what's on the other side. It's an accounting term in a sense, when we say count something, we mean to put it in the category. And James is instructing Christians to put our present trial in the category of an asset. And I would say not just an asset, but an appreciating asset. Here's what I mean by that. We are going to be better and more valuable in the Lord's service after this is all over than we are today. Now, that does not mean that Christians are to be Pollyannish, as Tony said yesterday, to stick our head in the sand and pretend this is all not happening. We must be realistic about the present situation. It's bad and getting worse. But it does mean that as believers we have a very different way of processing, processing and thinking about facts and truth. So rather than becoming panicked or depressed or overwhelmed with worry, we look beyond the present situation to how the Lord is going to use it for His glory and our good. And we have an incredible example in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Just turn back a page, maybe two in your Bible as you need to, to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we come to verse two and it says simply this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That is, look to him as your example of suffering. Now, Jesus was altogether God, wasn't he? And yet... He was altogether man. As a man, he didn't relish the thought of the whip on his back or the crown of thorns on his head or the nails in his hands and feet. And so he retreated to the garden of Gethsemane the night of his arrest. And he prayed to the father so intensely that the capillaries in his scalp burst and he sweat as if it were drops of blood. He called out to the father and he said, father, if there's any other way, let this cup of suffering pass from me but this was the father's will. So Jesus went to the cross willingly. I would say not only willingly, but heroically. He suffered all those things that I mentioned a moment ago, knowing beforehand how terrible they would be. How could he do that? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us he did it because of the joy set before him. That is, he heeded what James commands Christians to do today in our trials. He considered what was on the other side of suffering and he counted it more valuable than the suffering itself. And the thing that he valued and he gloried in was our salvation. He knew that this was the father's plan to redeem a people unto himself. Now he knew that John chapter 14, when he was on his way to the cross, he said to his disciples, I am the way the truth and the life. No man comes to the father except through me. And what he meant by that is through my sacrificial death and through my resurrection, but he also saw behind the suffering and beyond the suffering and this present trial to his glorification, he knew that, uh, the father is good and merciful and that he will do what he's promised. And the promise was that after the suffering came glory. The apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter two, that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess of things on heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, we can look to Jesus as one who suffered well, who experienced trial and looked on the other side. We haven't yet suffered unto blood as Jesus did, not to mention death. So we are instructed, those of us living today, to look to Jesus as our example in enduring all tests, In fact, you'll notice that James does not say, consider it all joy. If you are tested, he says, consider it all joy. When you are tested, he assumes that we will be, that is by virtue of being a human being in the old Testament, the man who was most familiar, I suspect with human suffering was the man, Job, the book of Job says, as the sparks fly upward. So man is made for trouble. We often remind ourselves that it rains on the just and the unjust. What we mean by that is God is good and benevolent to all of his creatures, those that love him and those who don't. But I was thinking this week, even in a rainstorm, that not only does it rain on the just and the unjust, it it also hails on the just and the unjust. Yes, we are all beneficiaries of God's common grace, but because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, all humanity suffers. All humans suffer lost and saved alike go through hard times. Have you noticed what a low profile that the health and wealth preachers are keeping these days? They built their empires on the false notion that if a Christian has enough faith, they'll never have any hard times. And they're now being exposed for their lies by the truth, which is that hard times are what proves the reality of faith. And so James says, count it all joy, my brothers. He's writing to Christians and he's assuming even in the first century that all Christians will not get a free pass when it comes to trials and tests. In fact, some of our trials are unique to the experience of Christians. That is persecution because of our relationship to Jesus. Lost people will not be persecuted for their lack of faith, but Christians have been, and will be persecuted for their faith. The truth is this. The reality is that all of life is a test of faith. That is, we go through trials, um, that prove either the reality of our faith or the lack thereof, the quality of our faith or the deficiency of our faith. And that brings me to my next point, which is the purpose of testing. Verse three says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, right away, we see a clear distinction between the Christian worldview and the non-Christian world We believe as Christians that there is a purpose and there is a reason behind all trials. That, that's something a lost and dying world doesn't all agree on. One of the philosophers from the 19th century that has had an incredibly negative impact on our own culture was a German man by the name of Nietzsche. And Nietzsche's philosophy is known as nihilism. Nil means nothing, and that's exactly what he taught. He's very influential in our modern culture. He looked at life and says there's no purpose to anything. In fact, Nietzsche famously coined the phrase, God is dead. He saw no purpose for anything in life, good, bad, or indifferent, and it may not surprise you that it drove him insane. And he spent the last 11 years of his life locked up in an insane asylum in what a friend described as demented darkness. Now, put those over against what Christians are called to believe, Romans 8, 28, the bedrock verse for these times, that all things are working to, together for good for those that love God. So what is the purpose of testing in the life of believers? Well, first, let's explain what the purpose is not, lest we get confused. The purpose of t- trials and tests in the life of Christians is not to inform God about something he doesn't already know. Years ago, I was a public school teacher and I tested my students at least two or three times a month to see what they knew or they did not know. It informed me about the progress or lack thereof they were making in my class. God doesn't test us to inform God about where we are. He already knows. He knows everything about us, both physically and spiritually. He says, he knows the number of hair on our head. And so he certainly knows where we are spiritually as well to that extent. And the second thing, the purpose of testing is not, it's not to cause us unnecessary pain, sort of like a sadistic child torturing insects and small animals for his personal entertainment. Some people have that notion that that's what God is doing. He's sitting in heaven, they think, casting thunderbolts from his throne, laughing maniacally at our suffering. That's not the God of the Bible. The truth is that these trials and tests of life are for our benefit. Now, throughout our life, we we take tests. You took tests in school, in uh, junior high, high school, if you went to college, if you went to the military, there were fitness tests, psychological evaluations. All of life is a test. I... Laughed to myself this week when I passed the home of one of the dear ladies in our church who's now in heaven with the Lord. She had such a wonderful disposition and joy exuded from her. And I remember one day, and she was uh, in her 80s, she had a bad fall at home, hit her head. They rushed her to the hospital, and I rushed to to see how she was. She'd already finished her test, and I, I said, how did it go? She said, well, they gave me an MRI Uh, to test my brain and it came back negative. And then she threw her head back in laughter. And I heard her tell that story at least a dozen times before she died. She thought it was hilarious that her brain test came back negative. Well, that that's the kind of joy that the Lord wants us all to have. The reason he tests our faith is because it will benefit us in, in a couple of ways. First, our testing, when we pass the test, gives us assurance that our faith is real and genuine. A lot of the things that we've been talking about over the last few years from this pulpit up until this point have been theoretical in nature. We've said, if a trial like this comes, what are we going to do? Here's what the Bible says to do. Now it's reality and we are being tested at this, at this very moment. I announced a couple of weeks ago that I'm planning at a conference this fall on the doctrine of assurance. And really that's what testing is all about. The surest way I know to have assurance of your own salvation's reality is to go through trials with your faith intact. Because not everyone does. There are those who claim to be followers of Jesus and when hard times come, they fall apart. It's not that they lose their salvation. The Bible says they go out from us because they were not of us. It it proves that their faith was not genuine and that's an important thing to know. And so for those who are true Christians, our, our faith is proven to be real, but also our testing informs us of areas in our faith and in our Christian walk that need to be strengthened. That is where we need to make further progress in sanctification. And God is so gracious to point these things out to us. And so the reality, And the quality of our faith is revealed only through trials. He says that the quality that emerges on the other side of these trials, he calls endurance. Many of your Bibles translate that word patience. And what that means is simply this. The pressures of the trials of life for a believer, rather than breaking your spirit, will make you stronger and more useful to the Lord in days ahead. And so let's zoom in a little closer on that truth. Ask ourselves the question, in what ways will enduring trials make us more useful to the Lord? Well, that leads us to our third point, the results of testing. Verse four says, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does it mean to be perfect and complete? Well, that's the term of maturation. He says that you'll be a mature, fully formed Christian. And trials are the means of our sanctification. Some things only happen when we endure trials. I sat in my office this week and I listed several things that I think only happen to a believer through trials. Here's the first one. Through trials, we become less prideful less prideful, more humble, we could say from a positive way. We realize how dependent we are upon the Lord and friends, that is a good thing because the Bible says the Lord resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so as we become less prideful and more dependent upon the Lord, secondly, we become less judgmental towards others. I will tell you that uh, before I became a parent, I knew everything there was to know about how children should be raised. And I remember making some bold proclamations about how my children would behave and wouldn't behave and what I would do if they really did. Well, I don't talk much like that anymore. Now that I have four of my own, I'm reminded more often of Matthew 7 verses one and two, judge not lest you be judged for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And so as we become more humble, we become less judgmental. And thirdly, we become more merciful. Matthew 5, 7 says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. I remember when I became a good tipper at restaurants. I wasn't always, I am now. I became a good tipper in seminary when I had financial problems. When I found it difficult to pay my rent and my car payment, I became a good tipper. Fourthly, as we become more merciful, we also tend to become more thankful. It makes a person more thankful for the blessings in their life when they have to suffer a little bit. If you've ever been incapacitated physically through sickness or accident, on the other side of that, when your body has healed, when your bones are mended, when you're back on your feet, you're more thankful for the health that you once did not have. And really, that is the antidote for anxiety we saw last week in Philippians 4, isn't it? He says, be anxious for nothing but with thanksgiving that your quest be made known to God. The result of that is the peace of God which passes human comprehension will stand guard over our hearts and our lives. But I think ultimately, the way that's going to play itself out corporately in our body is that going through this particular trial is going to enable us, First Baptist Church of Keller, I'm speaking of, to help others more effectively. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did did you get it? He says the way that God trains Christians to offer comfort to others in the community and in the church is by our going through similar trials. When we come out on the other side of that trial with our faith intact and our health restored, we are equipped to help others as we could never be if our life was always easy. Now I hope, pray, that I'm a better preacher than I was when I started preaching at 22 years old. I pray I'm a better preacher. I know I'm a better pastor. The reason I know that is because at 22, I had never really been through a lot of trials, never had any serious physical problems, never had any other human being that depended upon me for their well being. But at 48, that's all changed. I have gone through serious illness, I have gotten married. I do have four children at home who depend upon me every day. And those things have collectively done the Lord's work in my life. Not that I have arrived. I'm far from it, but it's made me more humble. It's made me less judgmental. Certainly made me more merciful. I believe it's made me more thankful and without a doubt, it's enabled me to help other people who are going through difficult things. I'm thankful for my trials. Now, at the time, I wasn't, and you're not either. In fact, uh, I read from Hebrews a moment ago, that, that same book of Hebrews tells us that when we're going through discipline, chapter 12, verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. No kidding, right? This whole situation, though we see it as a trial of our faith, a test of our faith, it doesn't seem to be joyful now, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is how this fruit we always talk about here is born out in our lives. It's through the crucible. It's through the training ground of suffering. And so in in conclusion, I'll just make some comments. Uh, Number one, Trials, though they're universal, everyone goes through them, saved and lost alike. Trials are often unique and distinct to every individual. There are people in our congregation, in our community, who are going through things most of us can't even imagine. But all of us have some sort of trial. But sometimes our trials are corporate in nature, like what we're going through presently. Now, that's what COVID-19, it's a corporate trial. We'll, we'll all be affected by it. And just as there are individuals who experience growth in sanctification by passing their individual trials, there can also come from corporate trials, corporate sanctifications. Two of the most memorable and meaningful times the 20 years that I've been a member of this church of corporate sanctification were the two times we would look back and say, that was the hardest time we ever went through. I'm speaking of 9-11, I'm speaking of Hurricane Katrina. Those two events stressed and taxed First Baptist Church of Keller like they did many other organizations, perhaps at a greater level than we've ever had before. And here's what I believe, church family. I believe that this present trial we're going through now can ultimately top both of those events when it's all said and done. What an opportunity we have to reach this community. What an opportunity we have to be different in our worldview. What an opportunity we have to to grow in grace. Many of us are are not working in the office. We, We have more time than ever to study our Bible we have more time than ever to check on our neighbor. We have more time than ever to get trained in evangelism. But we have time that we would not have had had something like this not occurred. And that's why James says, count it all joy. That is, think about it and look beyond the present circumstance to what's on the other side. Just as Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane contemplated his passion and his suffering on the cross. He looked beyond all of that to the joy that was set before him through our salvation and his ultimate glorification. The benefits of enduring the trials of life are not just in this life. And the reason I read all the way through verse 12 is because really everything up into verse 12 is leading up to that Crescendo finish. So let's go back to our original text. James chapter 1, verse 12, having said all of those things about trials and sufferings and their benefit, he sums it all up and he says this. It, it's really um, a beatitude. We think of Jesus in Sermon on the Mount giving beatitudes or blessing. Well, here's James, the brother of Jesus, declaring a beatitude and a blessing. He said, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. There is an inherent blessing to any Christian who goes through a trial and passed the test. And what's the benefit? Well, we have the assurance of salvation. Our faith is is real and not theoretical. We also had the added information if there's areas of our life where we need to improve. And he doesn't stop there. He says, for once we have been approved, that is once we pass the test, that man will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. One of the things that we often look forward to in our educational pursuits be it high school, college or graduate degree is graduation. And one of the things we love about graduation is we see it as an end to test. I'm 48 years old, but I still have dreams sometimes about can't find my homework or failing a test in junior high school. Those things stay with us a long time. Friends, the testing in this life will not end until you draw your last breath or until Jesus comes for his church, but it will end. And on that day, for those of us who endure, for those of us who persevere into the end, there is a great and precious promise here. He says, we will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, the trials that we're going through now, not only benefit us in this life, they do. They make us fitter and more useful for the Lord. It humbles us, makes us more merciful and thankful, makes us less judgmental, makes us more equipped to help others in their time of need. But then there's an eternal benefit as well. We are going to receive heavenly rewards for having passed these trials. I don't know what those will be. He's not very specific. The Bible's not about what those heavenly rewards will be, but I'm glad they're there. Aren't you? And I want every member of First Baptist Church of Keller, not only to to persevere under trial, I want you to share one day in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to him now in prayer and ask him for help. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word and Father, I've read this passage perhaps hundreds of times, and it, its meaning today is so fresh and new. All of life is a test of our faith. And Father, on the other side of this, we're going to know whether our test was real, our faith is real or not. I'm reminded of something John Piper said. He said that, that 90% of Christians pass the test of trouble, and 90% of them fail the test of prosperity and so father we've been living really in a in a bubble here for a long time unemployment's been low salaries have been high health has been good things have been safe compared to other places in the world and lord it seems like it's changing and so lord help us not to fear or falter help us to view this as you testing our faith not because you don't know but because we need to know. We need to have that blessed assurance that comes only through a past test. Father, I pray if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who doesn't have that assurance, their life is falling apart. They're panicking. Father, I pray they'd run to Jesus. I pray that they would see in Him an ever-present help in their time of trouble. I pray that they would cast themselves at His feet Cast their burdens and anxieties upon him because he cares for them. And Father, I pray for every Christian that you would help us to persevere and you would preserve our faith all the way to the end of our days. And Father, whatever good you accomplish through us because of it, we're going to be careful to give you the thanks, the glory, and the praise for. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.